Since we recorded this episode, we have had some very exciting news. Michael R. Jackson, one of the writers you will hear from today, won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Drama for his musical, A Strange Loop. Michael, we are so proud of you. So I've got to stay the queen of the virgins and under a lock and key. Hi, this is Sierra Iveson. And I'm Kevin Merritt, and we are the hosts of Muse, a brand new musical theater podcast where we explore the storylines, songs, characters, and themes of your favorite shows. Well, not exactly. You probably have never heard of these shows. They're brand new and still in development, but we are betting they're about to be your favorite shows. We are digging deep by going straight to the source, the writers. Plus, each episode will have exclusive in-studio performances, table readings of the script, and whatever else comes up. We plan to give you an in-depth look at the process of developing a new musical by allowing you to peek behind the curtain to see and hear why these stories need to be told. The Muse is brought to you as a collaboration between the National Alliance for Musical Theater and One Foot Productions. Please be advised, the material in today's podcast contains strong language, mature themes, and depictions of sexual violence. Today, we are so excited to welcome Anna K. Jacobs and Michael R. Jackson, the writers of Teeth. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, So take a second to introduce yourselves, your role in the show, and who else is in the room with us? Um, I'm Michael R. Jackson, and I am a co-book and lyrics for Teeth. And I'm Anna K. Jacobs, and I'm co-book and music for Teeth and joining us today are Vadim Feigner and Andy Zinsmeister playing keys and guitar and Vadim's also music directing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you all for being here. Yes, thank you. So before we get started, what do we need to know about Teeth? Uh, Teeth is based on the 2007 film of the same name by uh, Mitchell Lichtenstein and it's uh, about a a teenage girl who's uh, a teen in the evangelical who discovers she has a very powerful secret. Is this in the present day? Is this... uh, Yeah, it's set in present day. Cool. And is there a certain town or is it like anywhere? It's sort of set in a, a Midwestern any town. Okay. Teeth opens with a repressed memory in the mind of our heroine, Don O'Keefe. And in her memory, uh, in the memory, Don and her stepbrother Brad are playing in a kiddie pool. Suddenly, Brad jumps up and he screams, "It bit my finger, Daddy! It bit me!" What bit you? <laughs> and then the play starts. Okay, so then we see this repressed memory of Don's, and we flash forward. So, can you tell us where we see those three those three characters in the future? Sure. So when we flash forward, we see Dawn and she is with uh, the six girls who are known as Promise Keeper Girls in our show. Um, They are uh, teenage girls who are members of the teen abstinence group that she's a leader of. Um, And they are um, having a meeting and they are, um, what are they doing, Michael? (laughs) They're they're, uh, sort of a scandal has sort of broken out in the group because one of their members, this girl named Annie Sue Pearson, oh, has bec- Sue. She's, yeah. be- she's an offstage, great offstage character. She's, she's found herself with child, which, oh. um, which I imagine of, is a huge scandal yeah, in that an like, threatens sort of the identity. Uh, yes. It threatens <laughs> the identity of the Promise Keeper girls. And so Dawn is helping the girls sort of work through whatever feelings they might have about that and sort of rededicating themselves to their promise, to their purity rings and to the promise to stay abstinent until they're married. 
And so they sing this song called Precious Gift. And then after that, um, a, a new character, Toby, enters. And just before I say PKG a hundred times, I mean Promise Keeper Girl. <laughs> when I say PKG, I like their, I like their code name. So do we want to hop in when Toby arrives? Sure. Oh, so I should say, too, that we're very fortunate to have Michael and Anna playing and singing all roles today. Uh, so buckle up. Buckle up. That's so exciting. All right, so I'll let you take it from there. Hi, I didn't expect to see you today. I had to get out of the house where I was going to go absolutely nuts. Pastor's on my back again about college and seminary. He didn't go for you taking a year off before you decide what you want to do? Nope. He thinks I need more discipline and less freedom. But I know for doggone sure that I can serve Father God without having a doggone collar around my throat. Well, I'd personally love to see you in a collar and church robes leading New Testament village. Would you? Toby, that's not what I meant. What? I don't think Father God minds if we men bask in a little objectification. <laughs> that's not what I meant. So you don't like what you see? I didn't say I didn't. Well, I sure like what I see. I mean, between your commitment to the village and PKG and the way you carry yourself? Don, you're the whole package. You don't rock tank tops and booty shorts. You don't invite the eye to ask for more. You don't wear skirts above the knee. You dress with class and modesty. Some girls go out with pants to cling. You won't leave home without your purity ring. You don't tempt fate with spaghetti straps. You're a girl who keeps it all under wraps. Cause modest is hottest, modest is hottest. Underneath it all, safe and suspended. Modest is hottest, modest is hottest. Right under my nose, the way God intended. Modest is hottest, modest is hottest. Dress so my eyes are never offended. I'm kind of obsessed when it comes time to your purity. My love for him is so intense. I read his word and everything makes sense. The ring ensures I'll never fail until the night I shed my wedding veil. My precious gift is chastity. It's like gold, so it isn't free. I live my life accordingly to align for his plan for me. Cause modest is hottest, modest is hottest. That is all I know, it's not an illusion. Modest is hottest, modest is hottest. Pure from head to toe, in total seclusion. Modest is hottest, modest is hottest. How I stay clear of any confusion. Here in the arms of my God and my purity. You're a flower, but with power in the simple spell you cast. So sequestered, polyestered, that my pulse beats twice, twice as fast. Modest is hottest, modest is hottest. You're like Christmas Day anticipation. Then gratification, modest is hottest, modest is hottest, hot out the H in my imagination. 
I'm just so obsessed when it comes to your purity. My modesty makes me feel more secure. Then I get depressed by your promise of purity. An armor I wear to help me endure. Cause I'm totally, totally scared that I might turn you And then we have some scene. <laughs> I have to say, the line underneath it all, safe and suspended, it's just so joyful to me. You get the image of like what it is to be a promise keeper girl. Yeah. Safe and suspended. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing that I find hilarious about this song is it's the closest thing we have to a love song in the whole show. <laughs> that's yeah, a good that's point. Pro- that's probably right. So I have some questions about this song if we're stopping. Um, where did the where did this this lyric is so brilliant? Uh, like, wh- is that just you were driving down the street and going modest, hottest? Ooh, well, it's I kind of stole the hook from. So I when in the course of working on the show, we did like quite a lot of research into sort of teen, even Christian purity movements, and like, and a lot of a lot of that that stuff is is about making abstinence seem cool got it and yeah. so like you find the deeper you dive into it into things like the silver ring thing or or like um the secret keeper girls which is this sort of canadian this weird canadian thing that made its way to america like it's just all these like branding things yeah little slogans and, and slogans and like somewhere along the line i somewhere along the lines i heard i saw like the words modest is hottest is like something that someone said at like a rally or something and it just sounded like this thing that would totally be uh, from the boys perspective within the purity yes world but still is like objectifying the girl in a strange way totally because <laughs> we're so yeah yeah that like and it just it was a funny idea that sort of ended up being just a hook for the song. And that's what I love about this song is it really sets immediately the tone of the show. Like you really know, I mean, we can talk about this later, but tone is a really interesting thing with this and how to, how to, Oh yeah. And, and how to ride that fine line. And this song does it well. I'm, I'm my favorite line is I am totally, totally scared that I might turn you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem I have in a lot you of, know. But, you know, and I really, I resonate with so that. Tough. No, uh, it's great. Great As, line. So we get out of that scene and they do a little more. Yeah. Teenager they, talking. Yeah. Toby is wanting to, he feels like they they've been dating for six months, mm. and that three, isn't it? Or, oh, or three, no! I think we changed it from three months <laughs> to six months. I, it might be three months again. At the three month mark, three month mark, they agreed oh, that they would it. only hang out with other kids around them right. to keep things from getting confusing. Uh, yeah. Of course. But then he says, "But we're at the six month." They mark. are now at six months, and yeah. so he thinks that they need to make to to go to a higher level within their purity for each other, which is obviously getting. Which is a contradiction because, like, he's he's sort of wanting it to get more physical, but that's like at, at odds with what they're about, and so there's conflict. And so she's so like she's trying to figure out what's a way that they could maybe be together in a that's like skirting the rules or not. You know, it's a lot of there's, he's doing he, these kids really 
turn them, tie themselves up in knots, trying to figure out what they can and can't do. And we might have forgotten to say that Dawn is the ringleader of the yes, PKG. she's the so leader. She sort of has this extra burden of not, right. not only making sure she is chased, but that she is the leader. She is, and she's kind of like an icon in the town as well. She's sure. supposed to go. Sure, sure. Which leads us to our next song. I, <laughs> I have one question about Toby, though. It, it, is he faking it, or is he really dedicated He's, to this as well? He is dedicated for real. So what his story is that the Promise Keeper Girls is situated within the church, New Testament Village Church, and of which his father is the pastor. And his Ooh, father... His but, father's Pastor John? Yeah, his father is Pastor oh. John, who is an offstage character along with Annie Sue, <laughs> who puts a lot of pressure on him to be perfect from the male pure way. Mm. And he's being groomed essentially and he's being groomed into sort of that take over and he's not sure he wants to do that. He's feeling all these hormonal feelings and he and Don are getting closer. And so the two of them are both sort of like in a similar place but because of how those things are gendered in different ways mm-hmm. like it's there's it's like there's a lot of contradiction and I don't want to spoil anything at this moment but yeah. do we find out yet that he is maybe you know slipped up a little bit uh we don't find anything out about that until later so Mm -hmm. we're gonna strike that (laughs) question (laughs) okay and then so the um so the the promise keeper girls are also they're they're very much a real core of the story and then Mm -hmm. they're also a theatrical device within the story can you talk about a little bit about how they function in the musical sort of like a greek chorus Mm. um and so um the more that dawn has to face um, her own sexuality, um, the more they sort of transition out of this role as literal young women to a, a kind of a Greek chorus that yeah, follows or, her or around and echoes her. And sort of in subconscious, sort of in Dawn, sort of imagination, but she takes these girls who are actually in her life and, and makes them into something bigger. Great. So then talk us into the the next number, Queen of the Virgins. Okay. So Dawn, like Toby, is feeling really conflicted about the feelings she has for him and where to um, draw the line sexually in their relationship. Um, And so the song sort of explores how she's struggling with that. And um, I am so happy that I will get to sing the part of Dawn in the song and Michael R. Jackson will be voicing all six promise keeper girls. In my, yes. nice, in my nice lady voice. In his yes. lady voice. I keep him at bay and I push him away with all that's in you. I always say no to the strong undertow of carnal temptation. He's so freaking hot. So you can't help but not feel flames within you. And secretly there's a part of me that just wants his penetration. But I've got to stay the queen of the virgins, an unplucked flower in bloom. I've got to be the queen of the virgins, as pure as I came from the womb. I've got to be the queen of the virgins, a body he can't consume. It's a temple of doom, unless I want to give up my rule as queen of the virgins. Sometimes pretend that my reign's at an end and we are married. But Toby and I don't have to deny 
the passion we're feeling had been to his curve he'd ignite every nerve we'd move so buried then i'd combust into cosmic dust i'd have to scrape from the ceiling so i've got to stay the queen of the virgins and under a lock And where the reason Eden fell. Then tada, then tada, then tada, then tada. Oh, hungry lips. Then tada. And ash below. Then tada. And all the gas. Then tada. My flower could shore you some sun. I'm sick of being queen of the virgins and of being a total nun. Why can't I have fun? Why can't we just touch over our clothes? Kiss, but not so hot we'd need a hose. Sweetness, Father God, could me dip my toes while staying a virgin a virgin well that was fun that was so good. And now I see we have a serious problem. She's already rationalizing this compromise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I've got to say, your lyrics are so smart because I, this time I was struck by the um, a body he can't consume line mm-hmm. and then the blending of the religion or and the religious with these absurd metaphors. I mean, a flower that could see some sun just also gets me every time. Yeah. Uh, I, but it's a body, a body he can't consume. It's a temple of doom. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh my gosh. I, I know this takes us, of course, a little, but like the thing that's really cool is that Michael actually comes from a religious background. I do. And that was like my end to working on the show, which right. we, know, we can talk about that later. But Well, actually, but it's interesting. So I was, I mean, this girl, woman, uh, on the cusp, I guess, it ha- has a very vivid fantasy life. Obviously, is this in Which your happens experience? When you're repressed. It, it, yeah, and you six, always at sixteen. So I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, is this some? I don't, you know, um, I don't think I know anyone who has been part of an abstinence club, so I wouldn't know. But I mean, I wasn't part of the abstinence clubs, but like, the, there was a, a very much a sense when I was growing up that like sex was like 
bad and like dirty and nasty and all this stuff which means that like it's then all that you think about right (laughs) but the thing that i also identify i'm i'm definitely not from a religious background but the thing that i identify with in this song too is like the complicated feelings that young women have about their bodies um you know like regardless of whether you're from faith or yeah so much of it's taught just societally whether whether you're within certain religious yeah, areas like, or not that's, yeah. I mean but also that religious stuff like it it's like so in such an America it's like part of everything and you in places where you don't even know that it's there right it's there right yeah well listening to the song I I had my imagination where you guys just have a whole like book full of euphemisms so if you don't have one I think you should Oh my gosh, that would be great merch or something. Yes, yes, like just like like cards for like anything you might want to. Yeah, because I think I like pretty much tried to use every word for a penis that I could think of in the show. Every slang term I like used it somewhere in in the show. Totally. All right, wonderful. That'd be well, good to get people coming back. Like you have a checklist, right. you know. And every time I, I found bingo. three more. You know, <laughs> I just saw the show for the fifth time. I'm almost at seventeen. Oh brother. All right, so. Does Dawn give in to her desires? Is that the best place What's to start? Where should we start? What does Dawn do? Um, so Dawn uh, makes a compromise to have a movie night with just her and Toby Uh-oh. at New Testament Village, where they watch like a clean film or whatever, <laughs> and like rented um, out the teenage teenager room. Pretty much, and or I think it's actually in the sanctuary okay. of New Testament Village Church, and you know while they're talking, like you know, uh, Don sort of reveals that. D- d- Dawn sort of reveals to us that she knows about the fact that Toby is not a virgin, which was like something that he feels deep shame about. But instead of sort of making him feel guilty about it, she asks him, what was it like to be with the girl that he was with? And and that's sort of being a part of his message of sort of purity as well as sort of forgiveness for that. And they start talking about it and she starts asking him, well, what does she think it would be like with them? And that sort of suddenly... You know the ribbon. We're in the danger zone. The, the ribbon starts coming undone. You know, <laughs> and, and out of the st- euphemism box. Right, and they uh, they end up singing this song called "Playing with Fire," where he's describing what he thinks it would be like if they were together sexually, and then she sort of shares her fantasy of what she thinks it would be like sexually. The and there's promise, like PKGs. They're, they're, they're they go like the this. Girls, do yeah. me. Danger, 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 playing with fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're they're sort of in Don's head, and and he starts to go down on her as a compromise, which ah. obviously is still in the danger zone. And as that gets more and more intense, um, the Promise Keeper girls and Don's guilt sort of like pull her out of it, and she sort of blames Toby for this transgression and like runs out of uh, out of uh, the uh, New Testament village okay so yeah so that so then we sort of go to a new another moment with brad uh don's stepbrother when michael mentioned before that brad is an incel right i realized that not everybody knows what yeah that we is. should dig in <laughs> yes i had no idea until i until i saw until this. you read our script well I, I saw it in the app and then i read it yeah um so incel is short for involuntary celibate and this is a actually a truly real thing um it's a group of men that congregate online in forums i guess similarish to reddit yeah they're or- like an 
Reddit and I think 4chan. there's some other 4chan a lot of these places where you can sort of be anonymous and trade lots of information um, and these men sort of had this feeling that they are sort of uh, almost cursed like they're they think of themselves as sort of like that they're too ugly to be with any women and that, that they're like more attractive women and men who are sort of lording their status over them. Mm. And some of the, and there've been some instances in real life where these men who identify this way sort of turn violent. Okay. And like, there's like, was a shooting in Toronto a couple of years ago. Another in California. One in California. Um, but like a lot of what they do is just like they, um, troll women online on places like Twitter and, mm-hmm. like, say, like, threaten to rape them and kill them and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm, and, I'm curious, was this always in... Because I know this is... That was not in the movie. No, so this was, like, a, a so late... It was, was like it a in the, your, the original, though, when you... The first script from the movie, or no, even a later revision? It's a really recent discovery. It happened in 2018 when we were working on a draft for The O'Neill, and um, I'd actually read a post on Humans of New York um, oh. where he had taken a photograph and done an interview with somebody who identified as a recovered incel. Um, and we've always struggled with the role of Brad and how to update him. Um, he, like in the film, I do feel like he feels very much of the era. He's like kind of, you know, grungy goth guy and that doesn't feel relevant anymore. Um, and I think that when we both saw this post, it kind of helped us really understand who that character could be in a really specific way. And also just that, like, it, it created a really interesting point and counterpoint because right. you had Don and the, the PKG sort of vowing to stay pure. And then you have these incels who feel like no one will sleep with them Right. Or, or or love them or be sexual with them, and that like these two things are sort of pulling. Yeah. There's like a weird tension within both identities that's pulling yeah. at each other. And there's a tension between... that even exists now between yeah. like empowerment feminism and this sort of incel movement that seems to be the exact opposite of that. Right. Or even when I think about the sexual violence, like when we're talking about sexual chastity versus sexual violence, to to Michael's point, when we were talking earlier about. Um, like sex feeling like a bad thing if you grow up in certain ways, um, you know, you don't have a, anything sex positive in this right That's now. Right. You've right. got you've got chastity and and violence as the yeah, option. and and so and so like in an odd way, both Don and Brad had this sort of like these uh, this sort of toxic conservative views about sexuality, right. sort of tainting them and like making them sort of turning them kind of into monsters Mm -hmm. as it were Mm -hmm. all right and so then um in my recollection of your story so then we see dawn about to come clean to the pkgs about what has happened But before that is a moment with brad and the incels in his bedroom where he's sort of like plotting like he's sort of figuring out what he wants to do with girls and he's getting advice from one of his incels and his dad sort of comes in and tells him that he's fired from the lawn care <laughs> business that he worked for him yeah his own yes and, and the, it, that relationship is really important because yeah. he is getting a lot of information from his father about like we have this song called a real man mm. where bill sings about about like how a real man is supposed to behave and how bride needs to step into those shoes 
used and right. more successfully. Um, so we are trying to show that Brad's tendencies didn't come out of nowhere. Right. Um, it came from how he was raised by his father. Mm-hmm. And and but like and and that Bill sort of like bro, like come on toughen up little boy kind of act only drives Brad deeper into sort of this community of incels sure. where he feels more of a sense of community and, yeah. and belonging. And the incels are like his Greek chorus. And kind of, yeah. There's a, It's there's... kind of fascinating. So um, the actors who play Bill, his father, and Toby are double cast. Um, and it's like As the incels. Fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. It's cool watching them switch. Yeah. Um, so then that's what takes us to right. Don going back to... Uh, he's going to PKG to a meeting to sort of come clean about what he and Toby have done. Mm. But right before he's able to do that, we meet Ryan, who comes in off the street. He's like a young man who's very troubled, and he said that he's been like following PKG very closely online and on their website and and, and through New Testament Village's uh, programs they have, and, mm-hmm. and he thinks that he has a problem that only PKG can help him with the dawn of cage you can help him with and so then that takes us into a song called born again which is ryan sort of revealing that he's gay and that he's been sexual with men and that he wants to become clean and become heterosexual and he thinks that promise keeper girls are the only people who can help him on that path which inspires dawn who's feeling guilty about her own sexual transgressions and his story really speaks to her. And she sort of, the two of them together, along with the PKGs, um, sing this big rousing gospel number about being born again and being coming clean and all that, which then takes us to Dawn realizing that she has to try to make things right with Toby. So right. he stages a baptism at the lake. Yes. <laughs> by the way, what I do love about by the time we get this point in the show, I mean, you've really hit so many different types of sexual repression. I mean, these are real things going yeah. on. There are people who, you know, are trying to cleanse themselves of, mm-hmm. of being gay. And, you know, that's a real thing. That's not just, I mean, we laugh at it maybe, you know, because it, it feels like another century. But I think that, you know, especially not in this country and other countries, too, that's a real thing. And these are all the, the you know, I feel like these are all very relevant issues that are going on and they've all sort of piled into this story yeah, yeah, yeah. in a really uh, great way. And then do they do they let Ryan into the group? Do they become the Promise Keeper group instead of the Promise no. Keeper girls? It's, it's sort of at the at the end of that song, it's like Dawn is like, give me your number. Like, let's stay in sure. touch. Like, we'll be in touch, you know, to help you She'll in your outreach. journey. But then think that sort of gets a little uh, interrupted because of the events that okay. happened right after it. But okay. Ryan sort of does become like her confidant, yeah. I think, because um, they've sort of he's shared this intimate knowledge with mm-hmm. her. And I think that opens her to him as well. Great. And so we'll see more of Ryan later. Yes. We will. But first, we have to see what happens at the lake. Yeah. Yeah. So this is your, the end of your act one, right? Yeah, actually, well, <laughs> you know, the show is a one act now. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but we keep calling it act one. Okay. But the, so the, yes. the, 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 this is the middle, mid the midpoint, the midpoint the mid the show. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so she stages a baptism at the lake um, with the goal of, um, so it's almost like it functions as an apology too mm-hmm. to Toby. She she and, also and they both are sort of trying to apologize to each other, but 
she, I think, takes the bulk of it. Right. And the idea behind the baptism is that they can wash their sins away and be clean again and progress mm -hmm. as a couple down the same track that they'd initially intended. Um, the problem is they are both wet in a lake. <laughs> <laughs> Two hot young teenagers wet in a lake. And now we, so set the scene for me. Obviously, it's probably not 10 a.m. Are we, is it like getting yeah, it's, dusky it's at, at the lake? It's at night. Yeah. The moon is out. All right. Yeah. Romance the is in the air. Lots of arpeggios in lots the Lots of arpeggios. Yeah. The promise keeper girl, the sort of mystical or, and the, uh, Greek chorus from the Keeper Girls are sort of there underscoring the They're scene. They're like, when she gave birth to sin and shame, two serpents crawled upon the earth. They asked, what is a father's name? She wept and claimed a virgin birth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. brings me back to my church days. Oh, okay. And so as they sort of baptize each other and they cleanse each other, they're feeling closer to each other. They're in, and, and that's when Toby's like, marry me. And like, and he's just like, he's feeling so cleansed by. And remind me the, how old they are. They're 16, 16 and 17. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, marry me. Like we, we belong together. And she's like in her excitement. She's like, yes, I'll marry you. And then once she does that, Toby is think, takes that as a sign that they can have sex. And she's like, they're so fraught with all these emotions sure. and feelings that. And they're he, basically married. And they're basically married, you know, <laughs> according to Toby. And he begins to force himself upon her. And she starts to fight back because she obviously doesn't, didn't consent and mm -hmm. doesn't feel right about doing this according to her faith. And uh, that is the point when uh, her, her secret reveals itself to even her, which is that she has teeth in her vagina that cut Toby's penis off, sending him screaming into the lake where he drowns. Wow, yeah. that is quite a midpoint. Yeah. Got dark really But also, dark. at the same, at that point, Dawn runs away into the night, and Brad, who has been watching unseen mm. the entire time, sort of jumps down. He sees the penis on the lake shore, and he picks it up, and he now sort of knows what's been going on. Right, a with, truly Shakespearean gesture. Yes, <gasps> like with his, with his stepsister. Like he now he knows what's going on with his stepsister, who he's been sort of treated much better than him for his whole life. Right, and he's now sort of got like this new mission. And that takes us back to the memory, right? Correct. Yes. So, so that means when he was a child, he tried to touch her. All and right. his finger got bitten. Is this the first time he puts that together? Does or does he know why his we, finger was bitten? I don't. We never, at this moment at least, we don't put those two things together in his mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. But the audience certainly would remember would, yeah. those two things. Would understand that. Okay, and so so then that moment in which we understand what's going on for Dawn is actually sort of a very well established myth of vagina dentata. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that about where you know where else in pop culture this exists or or other ways this story so has... it's actually a classical culture yeah um <clears throat> there i mean the, the the myths around women having toothed vaginas exist in many cultures and they're part mm -hmm. of folklore in many cultures um western or not mm -hmm. and um 
I think vagina dentata um, or fear of vagina dentata sort of entered the popular consciousness through Freud um, as a metaphor for man's fear of castration and, mm -hmm. and sort of battle of um, power between the sexes. Um, yeah, and like, and just the thing that's been really interesting as Anna and I have worked on this is that so many people, even women who'd seen the show, had come up to me and been like, is it real? <laughs> Which mm -hmm, speaks mm -hmm. to yeah, and there's stuff on YouTube. If you yeah. Google it, there's stuff on like documentaries that mm -hmm. that would suggest wow. that it is real. We are so culturally afraid of the female body. Yeah, it's that so... we like make things yeah. up to talk about how like a female sexuality is dangerous in some right. way. Right. Um, and 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 I think that that's like for me even more powerful than the idea that a woman would have teeth in her vagina. This idea mm -hmm. that, like, there's this person who's just a person, but she's female or assigned female or whatever, mm -hmm. and but she's got this thing that, like, I think is not normal. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to, to, like, make up all of these ideas about it right. instead of just being like asking. she's a person yeah. or asking or opening a book or whatever like right. it's all this mystery around women's bodies that comes from these ideas of like their bodies belonging to somebody mm -hmm. or something you know like mm -hmm. and so I think that that's mm -hmm. why like these myths like that are able to to persist and to grow and to thrive because like there's so much like patriarchal sort of ownership of female bodies. And to add, one trope that you often find in these myths is a hero, a male hero, who comes and conquers the team. Ah, uh, right. sure. You know, after becoming aware of your show, because I actually hadn't seen the movie first, um, I now see vagina dentata art everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there was like a huge piece in the Met, and I was looking at it, and I all of a sudden was like, I think that's a vagina. And it was. And, right. and you know, it, it is really interesting how prevalent the myth is even if you might not be familiar with it mm -hmm. yeah wow okay so so then at this point what does dawn understand about what's happening not a ton not a ton she just she 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 names it i mean in a song but like but she's like at this point thinks time sort of slows right. time's a little bit in a slow motion for her she's sort of running slash recollecting what just happened with Toby and she Freaky. she's freaking out she's freaking song. out she's freaking out in a song like she's, two minutes and 40 seconds awesome yeah. and, our, and and I think you're gonna sing a little bit we're gonna, gonna we are going flavor. to do like well, Anna's going to I'm gonna do like <laughs> 12 bars alright because it's the title song you yeah. can't not do the yes. title song I was song. gonna say so 12 bars of teeth here we go <laughs> oh I actually love the idea of that 12 bars of teeth yes there you anyway. go <laughs> They see the dark satanic collision happening underneath. Something that cuts with razor precision. Teeth, 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 teeth. I close my eyes and I can envision. Teeth, 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 teeth. Teeth, 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 teeth. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> So this okay. is where she really, yeah, she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't even know that Toby's dead yet? or uh... No, no, I think she's put that together okay. because, like, we sort of land in a moment where some a little bit of time has passed. Oh, okay. And she sort of has, has processed that that's happened. Yeah, and she because she left him 
to die right, in the lake yeah, alone. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, okay, and so but so she's not aware of the vagina dentata. She just understands that she has teeth in her vagina, mm-hmm. and so she goes and seeks help from someone. Not quite. She um, she's been hiding out at Ryan's place. Okay, yes, yeah, she goes to um, and. Ryan is um, sort of essentially helping her process what's happened and Ryan is the person um, who comes up with an idea for where she might be able to seek help. And we're actually going to read the scene between Ryan and Dawn. Correct. All right. So Dawn is in Ryan's basement. I'll be reading Ryan. Hey, Dawn, you okay? Huh? Yeah, yeah. So how do you think they got in there? I don't know if I knew I'd... Maybe some kind of freaky parasite that caused them? A parasite? If it's parasites, then we gotta get you to a doctor. I know a general practitioner who would see you at a moment's notice. No, I can't. I just can't. Well, maybe it's not parasites then. Maybe it's not even teeth? Maybe something just went horribly wrong with Toby's dick? Have you ever thought about that? I sat on a dick wrong this one time and this dude bust a blood vessel? Maybe it was something like that? I wish it was that, but I don't think it was that. Well, what did you see when you looked? I didn't look. I can't look after what I did. What did it look like before you were Toby? I don't know. I never really looked. Oh, Don, you have to. It's your body. But I'm scared. I kind of, kind of, can't. The first time I cleaned out, I was terrified, too. Cleaned out? Yeah, my butthole to be with a guy. I'm sorry, that's super gross, and I shouldn't have even mentioned it. It's just that even though doing it with a guy was wrong, knowing my body was right, I think. Okay, I'll look. I think I have a hand mirror in this drawer. Here it is. Go in the bathroom and tell me if you see anything. I'll hit up WebMD and look up vaginal parasites. So gross. Dawn exits into a bathroom with a hand mirror and pulls her skirt down. I never had parasites, but I did get gonorrhea once. Ugh. I literally had green pus coming out of my wiener. So at least you don't have to deal with that, even though my green pus didn't kill anybody. So maybe six and one, half a dozen the other. And maybe I should just shut up now. Do you see anything? Dawn looks at her vagina in the hand mirror. The promise keeper girls hum in her mind. Dawn is slightly enchanted to see her vagina for the first time. The promise keeper girls hum again. Hey, Dawn? I don't see anything. I mean, nothing weird, I guess. Just me. Then I think you gotta go to this doctor. His name is Dr. Godfrey. I'll call him now. But it's after midnight. He'll see you. And he'll be super discreet. I guarantee it. He's got a private practice downstairs from his house. 1785 Elm Street. Around the corner from the old drive-thru movie theater? Go now. I'll do some more research while you're gone. I want to go dun-dun-dun, but I really don't because she should be understanding her body. So <laughs> so I take back it, mm-hmm. my dun-dun-dun. So, okay, so now does Don decide to go to the doctor? He does. He goes to Dr. Godfrey's office, and he's a, a sort of... Welcoming... Uh... But like, <laughs> it's hard. Like, it's hard to describe Dr. Godfrey. He's a gynecologist who's open at like midnight, twenty-four or, hours, or whatever. Like, you whenever, know? whenever he's needed. And Don goes to him, desperate, wanting to know anything about what. Has she ever her body. been to a gynecologist before? Probably not. Or Dawn, probably never. So she probably doesn't know that it's weird that he's wearing his bathrobe. Oh, (laughs) I have this moment where it feels very like first, like dentist chair in little shop to me as we head into this gynecology office. And so she goes, she she mentions that she thinks she has this abnormality inside of her teeth um, that she wants him to check out. And so he uh, begins to examine her um, in song. 
and he sings a song where he's like poking around and finally we sort of understand that he's really just using this as an opportunity her ignorance about her own body as an opportunity to um to violate her mm. and once he really gets really into it uh her teeth reemerge and they chop his arm off with the promise keeper girl girls. standing around okay yeah. yeah and he presumably he like dies on the floor bleeds out Don is again running off into the night away from her second kill. And so at this point, we get a pretty good idea that the teeth show up when people are abusing her. Correct. So Brad, Brad and, and, and Ryan yeah. simultaneously research online about Dawn's condition and in Wikipedia stumble across the Vagina Dentata myth. This is not an actual myth. This is something... That exists in the world of our show. Yes. Um, But it does pull from so many familiar myths that it might as well be real. Um, And I feel like when we were making this up, the Medusa story was actually one of the big influences. Mm. Um, So in the myth that that they find on Wikipedia, um, there is a, a horrible toothed goddess... Um, called Dentata and a hero tries to conquer her and he is successful Um, and he tries to conquer her with his you know I'm doing air quotes right now you can't see it with his sword Um, starting the euphemism (laughs) (laughs) and uh, this appeals to both Ryan and Rad for different reasons for Ryan who um, a young man who's always questioned his masculinity he feels that if he can somehow conquer Dawn's teeth, he can prove to himself that he is a real man. Mm. Um, and for Brad, um, it's an opportunity for domination. Um, after so many years of feeling um, undermined by Dawn because of the way that their family unit functions. Um, and so, yeah, they sing this song called According, called to, the according to the Wiki. Right. So um, new. It's not. It has been through many iterations. Many okay. Yeah, yeah. And something that brings me great joy is now the incels sing in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a little incel chorus. A little yes. incel chorus. Oh. Yeah, it almost feels like a gang initiation type of thing with the incels, right? Like they're pushing him to, to do this as well, to prove himself to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I something mean, that, that's cool that happens theatrically too, you mentioned it before, Kevin, is that like as the story progresses, they also, that the device of them being behind computer screens kind of gets dropped and they are also sort of so following in Brad Brad's yes. mind, around. the way the Promise Keeper girls are in yeah. Don's mind. And so then let's also talk a little bit more about Ryan's arc because he's gone from wanting Don's help mm-hmm. to thinking Don is the secret to solving his own problems, but through conquering mm-hmm. her. He also thinks he's helping her, though. Yeah. So I don't think he thinks that what he's doing is completely wrong. lacks compassion. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. She wants this. Yeah, yeah. And like, and he's, and at this point, he's the only person that she has that she can turn to with right. any of this right who won't judge her or turn her in or anything like that right right um and so armed with the information that he's learned in from the wiki he uh is feels he's able to help don once she comes back from what's happened with godfrey so she comes back to his his house she's freaking out because like now godfrey's dead and they're and the town's gonna find out and Everything's like just up in the air, and that's when Ryan 
in a scene that we're gonna about to read uh, shares some of the information that he learned with her. Mm. And so, me, Dane Ryan, have you ever heard about the myth of Dentata? Dentata? Wait, yeah, I've heard the word, but Godfrey said... Here, just read it. She's an ancient goddess with teeth down there who went on a killing spree until a hero rescued her from herself. I don't know how and I don't know why, and this is going to sound totally bananas, but I think this, I don't know, goddess gene might have been passed down to you? That's crazy. But what if it's perfectly sane? No, Father God would never allow... Just because Father God is in control now doesn't mean there wasn't stuff before him or that some of that stuff didn't hang around. Like a parasite. Exactly. And if I'm right, I think I can help you. Help me how? Because of what it says in the myth, that the hero breaks the uh, curse of the teeth with his... With his... um, Well, with his uh, sword. You really think this is real? Maybe. And you think you're the hero? Maybe. Maybe we can help each other. But... I mean, maybe it's not, and I'm not the hero. It's stupid, and I'm sorry I brought it up. No, 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 wait. Wait. Yes? Don? But if you're right, I could hurt you. I I don't want to hurt you. I couldn't live with myself if I hurt you. But not if I'm the hero, right? And, And even if I'm not, I'd rather die trying than continue to live as an abomination. Ryan, we can't be wrong about this. Are you sure? Sure as I'll ever be. I'm sitting here tonight. My heart is filled with fright. Never thought I'd end up here alone with you. On this narrow ledge. Teetering the edge of the unknown Tonight it's pretty clear I must ignore my fear No reason I should freeze or turn to stone with you Look into my eyes Hope you realize you're not alone your guy when everyone has left you I'm the one who is always standing by through thick and thin you can count me in you will be protected because I'm your guy see a blooming rose and pray that I can be the man you need tonight there's no turning back hope I show a knack for making love I'm your guy when no one else will have you I'm the one who will never make cry from this night on I'm here for you Don you don't have to worry because I'm your guy be my guy all through the
Together. Ryan and Don have sex. <laughs> It's not bad. <laughs> I'm your guy, and now the spell is broken. You're the one my body wouldn't lie. Dragons may blow. Because I'm your guy. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, damn. Ooh. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I did, totally did the wrong thing. Yeah, you got it. And I had it marked everything. <laughs> So there's that. <laughs> you know, it's funny we were because we were talking earlier about how the first song felt like the main love song in the show, but like this is such a like Disney love song. It's just that he's trying to conquer the teeth in her vagina. Yeah. Yes. And it's like also a f it's because of what comes after it. It's right. like a false. Yes, totally. It's like um, what's his name from Frozen or something. Yes. Like you think it's the prince. You but... think he's the prince, but maybe he's not. So, do you want? Were we going to do this scene? Do you want to talk oh, us through? Oh yeah. Yes, 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 yes. But the teeth don't come out, and that's an the important. The teeth don't come out. Yes. And so. So they think he's successful. They yes. think that he has conquered the teeth, and it's kind of like amazing romantic because they're also really close friends, and it right. makes sense. And it's been like a a positive sexual yes. experience. This is the Dance. first. The first scent she's given. That's correct. And that, yeah, so and that seems to be the the trick, right? You know, if you're going to call it that, is that if she gives consent, she so she has some control, I guess. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what they think. Yeah. Uh, at least. Yeah. And she and for her, it's pleasurable as well. Yes. Um, and then and then this happens. So they're in the. They've just sung the last notes. There's a silence, and then Ryan says, "I'm a man now." A real man, straight and straight. I can't believe it. Me neither. So how was I? Honestly, I was always so scared of what it would be like that I never even thought it could actually feel good. Maybe we should get married. The last thing I'm thinking about is marriage. I need to get home. Bill must be completely freaking out by now. Are you sure you can't just stay with me a little longer? The teeth might be gone, but I've got to figure out how to put my life together. If I can put my life together. I mean, the police are probably still looking for me. Toby's still dead. This is so far from over. Well, even if the police are looking for you, I've got proof that exonerates you. What are you talking about? Ryan shows Don his phone. What is this? I went live. You recorded us? Yeah. Everybody can see this. Of course they can. That's the point. So they can see two miracles at once. Miracles? Yeah, miracles. I'm a real man and that you don't have teeth anymore. But that's... But you didn't ask me. If I asked, you might have said no. Did you just hear what you said? I don't see why you're making such a big deal out of this. Because now everybody's gonna think I'm just some kind of slut. Better a slut than a murderer. Don, it's not like I ever really expected you to pay me to be paid back for all the stuff I've done for you. But after all of this, I wish you would start acting a little grateful. 
Dawn feels the teeth inside of her reborn. The Promise Keeper girls appear one by one during the following. Thanks. Absolutely. So now what? Do you want breakfast? Sure. That's right. After you fuck, you're supposed to have breakfast. Ryan exit and Dawn is super angry. Ryan! <laughs> I'm mad at Ryan! Ryan has, I know. I liked Ryan until this point. Uh, I really did. And this is like also an important moment in the show because she, at this point she takes her purity ring off and Correct. throws it away. Oh. You know, it's just like better a slut than a murderer. It just feels like, ow. Just to so much, to just to so much about everything this play talks about: gender roles, all these societal things. It's consent, like consent betrayal. and all, lot, all yeah. of it, and and trusting men. I mean, everywhere she goes, and then men. just being expected to take it, just sit there yeah. and and be grateful. But like the doctor, Ryan, yeah, you know, Toby. All right. So what does what does our protagonist do? She's furious. She conjures the promise keeper girls again. They sound, sing a little reprise of the song that we hear at the lake that Michael right. and I performed to you a cappella. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then she goes on a killing spree. So we're going to sing a song for you called Dentata. Or an ex excerpt of it. Oh, yeah. We're not going to sing. Gonna so actually, thing. this song amazingly involves like the whole cast, which would be 11 people. <laughs> right. But Michael and I are going to try. Done by two. And, yeah. We're going to try and do it for you, just us two. Um, Except we do need a little assistance, which is we're going to clap twice um, at two points where Dawn um, just members a man. And when that happens, um, as soon as we've clapped, I think we need Kevin to scream. Oh, sure. If you don't mind. What page is this? I don't know. I think we'll just clap. clap. When you yeah. hear a clap, scream. I'll scream and scream as if. You've as if you've been penis. dismembered. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. good. <laughs> I have to have to put myself... Uh, mm -hmm. I wouldn't method this. Uh, yeah, yet. I was a method person, <laughs> so I, I'm going to have to figure out another way. My throat is dry and I can't get air and I don't know why, but this word is there. Inside I burn like a fire does Cause I can't return to the girl I was I tremble some but I have no fear Then I just go numb cause the choice is clear Michael is now switching from PKG to Ryan Breakfast! Actually I'm hungry but not for that But it's grape nuts I don't want grape nuts I want your nuts. Really? You want to do it again? That's all I can think about. Well, let's go. Go live again. I don't want anybody to miss out on witnessing the miracle. You're sure? Positive. Your wish is my command. And action! The moon turns red and the lines all blur And inside my head I'm reborn as her Dintada, dintada, dintada. Stick it in me, big boy. I can't believe that used to be my line. <laughs> I'm a hazy shape that he can't quite track with a bloody cape flowing down my back. Dintada, dintada, dintada. Wait, wait, Don. What's going on? Something doesn't feel right. I wear my face like a monster mask at a glacial pace. I begin my task. Dintada, 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 
Fellow incels watch as Ryan's dismembered and dies on live stream. They plan to go after Dawn and for Brad to remove Dawn's teeth. I won't classify all men as scum, even though that does apply to some. We can live in peace and harmony. Donna's in a ride chair like Uber or Lyft seated next to her driver. Sorry about that mess in the back seat. I only drive part time and I didn't have time to clean up after my grandkids. It's fine. And it's nice to have somebody sitting next to me for once. Mm -hmm. What's your name, little lady? Dentata. Ooh, is that French? Latin. Ooh, a Spanish gal. Caliente. Why are we stopping here? This isn't the way to the lake. Hold your horses there, Dentata. <laughs> we'll get, on, get going in a second. I just want to talk and get to know you a little. Excuse me? You know it gets awful lonely out here on the road. Why is the door locked? You know, you're such a pretty young thing, Dentata. I think we could get to be real good friends, don't you? Yeah. I love making new friends. <laughs> well, why don't you come over here and let me give you some sugar? I only slay men who would do wrong If they come my way, they won't last for long Dentata, 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 Dentata Trust no man, fear no man Snakes in her garden Dentata, 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 Dentata Trust no man, fear no man Snakes in her garden Where we stop. And here we are. Oh my Oof. gosh. Okay. There's like a whole other like opera that's attacked onto touched onto the end of that what we just sang. Correct. But this sure. is this yeah, it's great. We get it. Which is she just this is her power, this is her weapon, you know, when these Yeah. And um, then she like she goes on to like her killing expands, right? Yes, her killing expands, and meanwhile, Brad and his incels, who witnessed her initial dismemberment of Ryan on the live stream, are also after her, and Brad is sort of girding himself for battle, ready to to get the teeth outside of Dawn uh, with his sword, as it were. Right. And uh, this sort of culminates, the song culminates with Dawn and the Promise of the Girl sort of glorying in, in their sort of... Uh, defeat of these predators and then Don and Brad coming face to face. Wow. And it's such a flip for Don because she goes from not wanting to be on camera having mm. sex to like, let me just show everyone what happens when they mess with me. Right. Yeah. Like this, I feel like the show is like a whole slow burn mm -hmm. for, for that moment. Yeah. Arriving in that point. Okay. So Don, uh, so Don has now, um, uh, awoken to this new version of herself She's on a spree. Uh, and what, what happens next? What do we get to know? So this sort of brings us to uh, sort of a confrontation between her and Brad, where sort of their Brad is like, you know, he's felt sort of put upon and discarded by the world. 
and by women in particular and by Bill and, and just everything. And he's finally getting to confront Don about all of it and that he's decided that since he's the hero and his, his sort of imagination mm-hmm. that he can um, remove the teeth from her vagina by assaulting her. And once he does that, he, of course, is defeated by Don. And Don is left with her Promise Keeper girl sort of like reveling in the final sort of defeat of the final monster and mm-hmm. and and they're sort of imagining that they are going to be starting kind of a new world order where sort of women are on top and no men are going to fuck with them and from that Dawn starts to have this realization that maybe there's another path forward and that like her life doesn't have to be in definition to mm. men or other people mm-hmm. um and the, the Promise Keeper girls sort of are not sure about that. And, and Don sort of sings a song that begins to sum that up in it, certain ways. It's amazing how as soon as we got to the, the, the reveal, Don really does become an object in the story. It's a mm-hmm. lot of people acting upon her until we get to that break point with Ryan. Yeah. But every so, how many, like five people die? Uh, Toby... Godfrey, Ryan, Uber driver, Bill, Bill, but Brad. Bill not Bill doesn't die because of Don. Brad, we forgot to mention that Brad kills Bill in earlier in the story. And Bill's uh, Brad's dad. Brad, Bill is Brad's dad, and uh, and then finally Brad. So, are there any positive male role models in this piece? Well, in a, you could you could say in a sense that Bill is for Don. Mm-hmm. But not for mm. Brad. But like you don't really, we don't have a lot of Brad, uh, Bill, Don interaction. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that <clears throat> we're trying to render these characters who all have these sort of likable or vulnerable or you know moving components of their personalities, but then are also somehow sullied because of the environment that they're growing up in and how they feel about themselves and how they feel about their own sexualities. And so there are aspects of Toby that um, are lovely and there there are aspects of Brad um, that are sympathetic and there are aspects of Ryan that are um, very sympathetic and funny and um, charming, but they all make. I feel like I'm talking to my four year old. They make bad choices. They're not yes. bad people, but they make bad choices. And yes. also, just like you said earlier, like the sort of the environment around them, like the patriarchy around that, all of them is like pushing them to like make these bad choices and it's sort of tainting them, mm-hmm. which is kind of, and as well as Dawn as well. And that's kind of like part of the point of the show is that like, you know, until you sort of can define your own terms and you just are letting these forces act upon you um, or or playing into them, right. like you're going to see these sort of um, destructive things happen. Which is why, like, people are like, it's a feminist musical and I prefer to be like, no, it's a political mm. musical because we are using the lens of um, a young woman having an experience where she's trying to define herself on her own terms but like we are also looking at what happens when you're in a systemic situation where you're, you're not entitled to present yourself or um, identify yourself in the way that, mm. that you actually 
no one understand yourself. And so you've been developing this show for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about how long? I feel like maybe 2013 was when we like really, really started. Okay. Yeah, yeah. started. Yeah, yeah. We started as a result of um, being uncharted uh, artists in Osnova's Uncharted program. Oh, great. We were in their like inaugural year. Oh, wow. And so the first year you, you know, write a draft and you present some songs in concert and the second year you pre- at the end of that year you pre- mm-hmm. present a workshop of the, the whole thing. Um, and that was where we we began. I was born. Had you worked together before? We had written a song together. Yeah. So, but, but not. But we hadn't written a, a show. Yeah. So Michael and I both went into to NYU, but we weren't weren't in the same cycle. And it's so our relationship sort of started like a friendship. Like Michael would come and use the practice rooms as yeah, an I was alumni, often there, yeah. and I was always there myself um, because I am a slow composer. And uh, so we would hang out. We would eat. Pomfrit together. We would before talk. it exploded before in the it fire. Although <laughs> <laughs> um, it's back, it's somewhere. Yeah. It's like on another street though. But yeah, you can never Rip go back Second to before. Avenue Pomfrit. Yeah. Um, and we shared a love of similar music. Really, like we had similar taste in in music. And um, Michael had written with um, one of the students in my cycle because we had an uneven number of composers and lyricists. And as soon as I heard his mus- his work, I was like, uh, that is amazing to me. And from that point forward, I kind of became Michael's fangirl. <laughs> and I would go to his concerts at the Beachman or Joe's Pub or what have you and just like loved his work. Um, but then he was the one who approached me initially about working on this piece because he knew my work as a result of my musical pop that was done at Yale Rep, mm. and he'd come up Which and I seen that. Which I love that show. And Anna's music is so great. Um, and and just like, and I felt, and I knew, because I'm also a composer, but I felt like the music, that my music would not be right for this story. Mm. And like, I felt I thought that was important that I work with a female composer on this. Just, just And that perspective would be like totally like vital to mm-hmm. like it wouldn't it wouldn't be a story that I could tell with like another man and I'm struck by uh how much the socio-political climate has changed in oh, the yes. amount of time you've written this show you know is this the show you set out to write has this show changed as a result of the me too movement all the discussions that are happening right and now I'll just add on to that too was the spark of this that you just saw the movie or was yeah. there something mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. that yeah I saw it and like and I wanted to and I and Anna sort of came to mind as someone to work with. And the minute we started talking about it, we um, both had different sort of ends to it. Like for me, my basic end was just that I was raised like very religious and a lot of sexuality was confused within that. And mm. so Dawn was like a character who I just related to on that basic sort of level. And I think Dawn and I think Anna had like a different end. Yeah. For me, I, for me, I mean, my, it's my inn keeps changing the more that we work on the piece. But initially when we visited it, it was t- sort of, I saw it as like a superhero story, but with a female protagonist at the center, which was something that I hadn't seen a lot in musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fascinating to me. And also just like how 
big the storytelling is and the fact that that lent itself to having music and being told through a musical form. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then has the has the tone of the short story shifted? Has oh, the, has the focus wildly. Shifted? Yeah. <laughs> wildly. I mean, this show has been like so many different things as we sort of figured out its center of gravity. Mm -hmm. And I think that like things like the Me Too movement definitely have impacted it, particularly, you know, once we realized that Brad was an incel. Sure. Um, I think that for, at least for me, like that sort of put a lot of things, a lot of other things that had always been a part of it. It put it in perspective for me and just thinking about notions of consent, about people having different ideas about um, what is consent? Like I keep, you know, I keep thinking about like that. Like I think about like that Aziz and Sorry mm -hmm, mm -hmm. story where, mm -hmm. and his apology, where like he basically was like, I thought this one thing was going on, but actually I see now that you thought this other thing, this other thing was going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that there's so many instances of that in um, in these in relationships and mm -hmm. and how that plays out in the show as well of, of like this push and pull between what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a big thing that happens in the show. And the other thing that we've been doing is we have been developing the piece over, over this like decade and um, working with actors has taught us and directors has taught us so much about the material and tonally where the piece wants to live. And I, I think that there is temptation to hear what the source material is and assume that we're just writing a campy piece mm -hmm. and that's not our intention we're definitely writing something that's comedic it's a black comedy mm -hmm. um but it also has very genuine elements to it um and so when we're playing with the material with actors some a note that we always give them is that it's not supposed to be delivered in a way that's tongue-in-cheek and mm. the stakes are very very real for each of the characters yeah that was something so i saw the movie i read the script i wasn't I, you know, I hadn't seen the movie, was aware of it, and then saw the movie after I'd read your script. And so I have a lot of questions about that um, in t because I do feel the tone of, at least from reading the script and even watching you, the tone of your story is different than the tone of the movie, but I, I really like what you just said. It doesn't feel like you're doing sort of a mock of the movie in some ways as people do with... Um, I was in a show called The Toxic Avenger, the musical, years ago. I love ago. that. <laughs> I got sprayed uh, by the water. Yes. So, you know, there, there's different times where where it will take a sort of old movie and then make it campy or whatever, and this is definitely not what's happening here. Mm. Um, but there's also some things you've added in, like the incels, like the PKGs that aren't – they're really not um, prevalent in, in the movie or they're not there at all. Um, and – I really think that adds just a layer to it. Um, so, so my question is around when you you and this is I think just anyone who's interested in taking a, a movie and and optioning it or or licensing it for to make a show. Um, how do you decide? How did you decide when you see this movie, you love it, you want to turn it into a musical? What to change? What not to change? What sort of agreements or understandings do you have even with the original writers about what's okay to change? Uh, I'm curious just about that process. We worked closely with Mitchell Lichtenstein, and um, along the way, we've been sharing drafts with him and getting feedback. And so that's how we know um, the points at which we may have diverged too far from the original source material. And um, something that's actually fascinating is that we went into the process with 
feeling a lot of freedom um, and being given room to adapt however we wanted. And some of the most critical and helpful moments along the way have been when Mitchell has said, I think that this is something that you might need to stick closer to the source material with. And it's actually helped keep um, a focus with our adaptation. Mm -hmm. But also like Michael and I love musicals you know like that is a form that we're both so passionate about and we're both musical people and if you start adapting with the question of like why music and how music mm -hmm. it organically leads you to make certain choices um, and I can like um, intellectually go back now and be like, well, of course we needed a Greek chorus of women because you can't, there were just so many like teeny little prosthetic penises that you can like show on a stage before <laughs> a broad, you know somebody in the back of the house is gonna be like, what is that? <laughs> but um, but uh, for me at least, I feel like the the a lot of the choices we made happened organically because we were trying to use mm. music for storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think like for me like how i would approach adapting any sort of thing is like it's already been done on film and so now you're telling it you're telling the same story but there's opportunities to figure out why it needs to be on stage what is your point of view on it that makes it that that's like what there's other juice that you can squeeze out of the original source material and i feel like both ann and i were like there's there's something this film does really well, but then if we're gonna put this on stage, that there's an opportunity to really find other things underneath. And I think that like the the changing political climate, like we it helped us find those things even more that were kind of buried within it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like adapting anything like that is like going like, what's your take on this? Like, what do you actually have to say? Why are we here? What makes it theatrical? What makes it theatrical? Yeah. Was there anything from the movie that you that you have not included that you wish you could or want to try to squeeze in there, or were there things that you you dropped that? Um, I mean, the movie has like a dog that plays like a very pivotal <laughs> role in the movie. And he, that he like existed in a draft for a hot second. For a hot second, we did have a dog, but like it, oh. that just ended up. I don't. I don't know that I want to bring. I don't think I want to bring the dog back. But like, <laughs> but that was like one thing that's not in the movie. The mother's also in the movie. The mother is in the movie. That's like big. That's a big thing. I was like wondering, we, did you have that? She's he's been in. She's been out. He's been a lot of different mm. things. Will be just found that she kept getting in the way of the core storytelling. Well, and I think if I'm in my recollection, like you've played with like how present are adults in the narrative. Yeah. Yes, we've like had a Charlie Brown version. Sure, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think that like. Um, something that was a turning point for us was when we realized that like there has to be adult presence when you are showing power structure right mm -hmm. right well and i think it's interesting because we we, we get to see different takes on masculinity in the, in the song real man and, and mm -hmm. it's like a very well-meaning um man but then you see how some of those things have kind of gotten warped um, that's right through mm -hmm. sun yeah, I think we're, uh, I was just talking to someone about this today. We're in an interesting time where um, we are redefining what it means to be a man. And I'm not sure there's a, a concrete we're re message. redefining what it means to be a woman. Yeah. Exactly. You're right. But I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, but that, that conversation feels like maybe it's been uh, going on for longer or more open for longer. And the male, maybe I'm wrong, but the male conversation feels like um, uh, 
there's a lot more acceptance now. Uh, and I, I agree with you. You could really be on both sides of it. But uh, raising two boys, it's it's hard to to know sort of what the they're what the path is you know to it's like you 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 sometimes repeat things that your father said or that you know <laughs> from your past and you're like oh my god what am i saying this is not this is not okay in this environment in this time and that we live in so i think we're all redefining these roles uh but it also is a point of being a little lost about it or maybe that's at least how i feel um in terms of of you know the, the messages that we're putting out there and also realizing some of the messages that messages that have been out there someone said that to me recently like um like things like man up and stuff like that like mm. people generally don't say woman up come on woman up but man right. up you know these phrases that just are mm -hmm. put out there no they tell women to man up yeah yeah that's what i mean it's but so it's it's like masculinity is this thing you you don't yes. you don't automatically born you're not automatically born a man you have to become a man mm -hmm. right I have a um, chronic problem with saying you guys. I'm desperately right. trying to eliminate it from yeah. my vocabulary, and it comes out all the time. I say it all the time. Yeah. So. Um, this is going to be a bit of a tangent from the very serious topic we just covered, but in this show where we have, like, um, you know, characters holding severed penises, pe peni, what is the plural of penis? <laughs> Let's just go with peni. Peni. I, I like that. it. So, like, do you have something, like, you were writing this show, and you were like, this is the most absurd thing I've ever said out loud, but what if we did X, or what if the lyric was... Why do you have do you think? Wow, I mean, I pretty much go for it. Yeah, like if it's that's well, true of your of your body of work. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? Like right. again, like right. it's it's on stage. We're here. Let's go for it. Uh, I guess like there's a spirit as much as a sh as serious as the show is, and like there's also a spirit of fun in it, mm -hmm. and like, but the fun I always think of things like that as like there's consequences for it. So like, it's real. Like you have to take it, you can, it has to, it has to mean something. So like, yeah, like there's like, like severed penises all over the place and the language of that is expressed, but it, it has a consequence to mm -hmm. it. So it, it actually, mm -hmm. it, it is dangerous. It's mm -hmm. dangerous while being, you know, mm -hmm. hilarious, mm -hmm. you know, like there's this line from a um, Neil Gaiman graphic novel. I'm going to butcher it, but the line is something where this woman is like killing a rabbit it's like this old like three thousand year old witch that just looks like a woman from like la and she's like killing a rabbit to, in order to invoke a spell and she's sent for this other woman who's like unconscious in a circle she goes let this be a message to you uh lida um nothing is too cute or or, or uh harmless nothing's too cute to be considered harmless hmm. and i and i that line always resonates with me of like you know, you can be having all the fun in the world and being cutesy and fun, but there's still it still can be like danger right, right underneath the surface of it. And I think that the show kind of lives in that place of like, right. of you just don't know what's going to happen or how far it's going to go. Mm -hmm. uh, just a technical question: When you write, are you generally writing lyrics first or writing words? Are you doing everything together? Are you building these songs? Uh, I think that like it usually will start lyric first, but then what will happen is like Anna will like have some really amazing questions or whatever. Or she'll come up with a musical part of a musical idea that suggests something else. And then it turns a little bit lyric music first. And so we kind of can go back and forth depending on what's happening or if we decide to like chop a song up or or add a new part to it or something like that. 
Something that's like really cool in this collaboration is that we both do everything. Like mm. we we both write book music and lyrics, but we have chosen each other as collaborators for this project. Yeah. Mm. Um, and Michael's incredibly musical, and it means that like. <laughs> I can send him a thing and be like, doo -doo -ba -doo -ba -doo. what do you think of that? And like, he knows like what to do with that information. Mm. Um, what is your music? What is the musical language for this? Like we said, we hear piano and guitar, but it, you know, is there like a certain artist or a certain style that you imagine in the full orchestrations? That like it's a pop rock musical written by a composer who comes from a classical background. <laughs> so, so there, like there, there are things about it that are quite sophisticated, but like if it's hitting your ear as sophisticated, then I haven't done my due mm. diligence. Um, and we actually had this amazing experience when we were at the O'Neill where we got to choose. Um, we I, got to choose. We got to go. There we go. <laughs> we got to choose. Um, uh, somebody, uh, it could be like a designer or orchestrator, um, to do a rendering of something from our show. And um, uh, we decided we wanted to have John Clancy, the orchestrator, um, mock up an orchestration of our finale so that we could we could hear like, you know, like what is the language when you have all of the colours. And it was really cool. Like the orchestration, it definitely feels like it could be something you hear on um the radio but there's like a real like richness to it as well that like helps you know that it also lives in a musical but like I'm somebody I, so I'm Australian in case you didn't know this and um and I did not grow up around musical theater um acting scares me and um I you know I grew up as a musician as a classical composer and um so all of my reference points for music are non-musical theater and when people say like oh it should sound musical theater I'm like musical theater is a form not an aesthetic <laughs> so every song that we work on we usually have a reference point that's a non musical theater reference point and um we have so much fun collaborating because like michael will be like oh i think it's a little bit like this diana ross song and he'll send me youtube videos and then i'll go down the youtube spiral and then i'll send him like Joni mitchell stuff and like we uh share references and inspirations and it informs the lyric as much as it informs the music mm. and i think that's how we're able to meld our voices so well mm. Do you have any special thanks before we move on to the last number? Um, well, definitely thanks to um, Mitchell Lichtenstein for mm -hmm. being such a great uh, writer, director, person who's lent our, his source <laughs> material to us mm. all these years and giving us such great feedback on the NYU Grad Musical Theater Writing Program. Also, owe a lot of debt of gratitude to them. We've developed the show with Ars Nova and Musical Theatre Factory, the O'Neill and Sundance. And, and Musical Theatre Factory. Wait, did you say already? Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear it. But each of those steps have been instrumental for yeah, us. Yeah. And NAMT was really instrumental for us. Oh, and Sundance. I said it. <laughs> oh, wait. Nansplaining, I guess. <laughs> I'm guilty of it from time to time. Uh, if our listeners want to hear, find, hear more of your work, find you, is there websites they should go to? Uh, yeah, my website is thelivingmichaeljackson.com, www, thelivingmichaeljackson.com. Mine is not as good as that. <laughs> it's hard to be. Mine is just annakjacobs.com. Awesome.
Thank you both so much. All right, and so since we are a musical podcast, we like to end with music. And with your show in particular, it felt so important to hear your final number. Can you tell us a little bit? And because you played all of the actors today, we didn't. We're not going to make you play it. the actor for that one. So, and I'm really so that's the one you were talking about that was orchestrated. Yeah, and you'll hear. Um, John Clancy's mock orchestration and I say mock because um he uh you know he like made a MIDI rendering but obviously this would be played by live musicians the London Philharmonic mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what are we gonna hear on this number so the number is called I Want to Choose and um it as Michael was saying um it's the point at which the Promise Keeper girls get a a taste for vengeance and they want to flip the system that they've been in by literally inverting it and having women on top and and mm -hmm. men being subservient to them and dawn is starting to question whether in that scenario she would um as much be defined in opposition to others than she was before um so she's starting to process that but also explain to the Promise Keeper girls why she doesn't want to go down that road. Mm. All right, wonderful. Let's do it. An angel, a princess, that's what I used to be. Cause I was ashamed of myself and my anatomy. A demon, a monster, a goddess born again. But angels and demons are sides of the same coin flipped by men And I want to choose the coins that I'm flipping I want to choose the face that I wear I want to choose what to do with my body And if I'm willing or able to share Girl, a bad girl, a girl who's in between. A hot girl, a girl plain as can be. A girl who's never seen an insult, a label, a cat call from a guy, an internet rumor, a sick piece of gossip, a fucking lie. But I want to choose.
daughter, setting sun. Rising daughter, setting sun. For more information about One Foot Productions, you can visit onefootprod.com. And for more information about the National Alliance for Musical Theater, you can go to www.namt.org.